Amen. Amen. Wow. That's good. What a good reminder. Well, hey, we're so glad you're here. My name is Bobby. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. So if you're new around here, hello. Thank you for being here. In fact, if this is your first time here, right after the service, if you've got just like three or four minutes to hang out, we've got a side door exit over here that, that simply has a room on the other side called the meet and greet room. If you've got just a second, you can stop by. I'd love to get to meet you and just say hello. Some of our team will be there. We've got a gift for you, and it would be our honor just to say hello. And if you have any questions, uh, we'd love to try to answer them. If not, just say hello. That would be so, so great. But as we gathered together, when, when the counselors were talking a little bit a while ago, it took me back to my school years. I don't know if that did that for you. I don't know if you ever have those dreams like you're back in school or not. But I had sort of this flashback. And I remember right after high school, I had the best cell phone on the planet. Now, I'm a tech nerd, so I like gadgets and stuff like that. And so I had the phone that everybody wanted. It was a flip phone. It was called the Motorola StarTac. Do any of y'all remember that? Like, that was it. Man, it was the phone. And I didn't just have the phone. I had the holster that goes with the phone. So I was rolling into my college campus with a big phone clipped on my side, and I, I was Mr. Cool. At least I thought that was cool. No wonder I didn't get any dates my freshman year of college, because I had the big bulky phone. Hey, hey, why don't you laugh at me? That's not kind. <laughs> the flip phone was the thing to have. Now, what's funny is our phones are so much better than that now. I mean, in our pockets, we're not just carrying around a flip phone. We've got a, an actual computer in our pockets, right? We've got the internet in our pocket. We've got thousands of songs in our pocket. We've got a high def camera. We got 4K video in our pocket. Man, this phone is so much different than the flip phone. So much so that if you still had a, a Motorola StarTac, it's probably not worth anything unless it's in a museum. I mean, hello, you can't even play Candy Crush on that thing. You see what I'm saying? It was $500 back in the day. And now, it's not worth anything. And I think that's a reminder. In the Bible, it talks about this idea that we're not to invest in things that rust and fade, but we're to invest in things that last forever. And so today, as we come to this moment of giving, Anytime we're generous at church, that's an opportunity to invest in something that lasts forever. And so most of us, man, at least the saved ones of us have iPhones. All you Android folks, I'm still praying for, I'm trying to convert you. But this morning, man, as we give, I want to invite you to be generous, to give the things that last. Even if, if you've got a smartphone, you can give through the app if you haven't done that already. If you've got a flip phone, you can write a check. That's okay too. But I want to invite you as our team comes, if you haven't already given today, I want to invite you to be part of life change, not just buildings and lights. And of course, we have to pay for those things. But when you get to meet counselors like this that are serving in our community as a reminder that when we give, we're investing in the lives of people and cell phones aren't going to last forever. Flip phones certainly didn't last forever, but the souls of people will. And so when we give, we give as an investment. Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity for us to give generously. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we're investing in things that matter for all of eternity. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
minutes. The best things are coming by. Let me tell you about just, uh, just a couple of quick things. One is, if you're a lady, if you are a lady, I want to invite you to sign up for Flourish today. Flourish is coming up on the first Thursday night of February, and it's an incredible evening just for the girls. It's a great, great night, good food, good teaching, good crafts. There's a, a special guest that's going to do something very, very cool on that night. And so if you haven't signed up yet, Right after this gathering is over, head straight out into the lobby. You'll see a pretty table set up with hearts on it because that's what ladies do when they have tables. If guys had tables out there, it would be the bare minimum, but they've got a beautiful table and the ladies after the first service said, I needed to mention that there's beautiful ladies out there as well. And so head out to that table, sign up for this. And if you have a friend that has never been to Flourish before, you can sign them up today for free. And so the easiest way to do that is right after this gathering, head out into the lobby and you can see the ladies at the table. You can sign up or if you want to use your app, you can do that as well. That would be great. And then also, let me say a word to our guys. Tonight at 5 p.m., we are kicking off this new semester of Man Church. And so Pastor Chuck is super pumped about this. He's talking about you can be a guy that loves the Lord without being weird. And that's a good thing, right? And so you don't have to be aware. So tonight's going to be a great night. It's really kickoff night. So we're asking guys, if you can, bring some chili to share. We're going to have sort of a little cook-off deal. If you don't cook chili, you can bring some sort of side or dessert or something like that. But it's going to be 5 o'clock on the backside of our building, what we call the underground and the backyard. And it's a great way to meet other guys and to bring some guy friends with you. So I hope you'll join us for that. And then the last thing I want to mention is that if you haven't been part of it, in our app, we have something called Power Routines. And it's a great way to start the day with Scripture meditation, gratitude, I would encourage you to dive into that, all right? Well, today I'm super excited about what we're talking about. Today, we are talking about this one phrase, courageous prayer, courageous prayer. Now, to be honest with you, for a lot of my life, I have prayed what I consider to be what I call safe prayers. And by safe prayers, here's what I mean. They're generic they're just sort of vague. They're just sort of just lobbing it out there without any really hope of what's going to happen. Safe prayers are sort of like the prayers where you get up in the morning and you're like, dear Lord, I just pray that you would bless today. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying that. But how would you know if God actually blessed today? See, most of the time that's pretty um, subjective, right? What does a blessed day look like for you? What does it look like for me? How would you know if you're blessed? For some of you, uh, a blessed Sunday would be you got an afternoon nap today, right? Good thing to do on a drizzly day. For some people, it's you got to watch some sort of sports thing on TV. For me, it's do I get to eat salted caramel ice cream today? Can I get an amen on that? That is a blessed day, right? And so the, the danger of generic prayers is you can pray, God, would you bless us? God, would you just keep us safe? God, would you give us a good day? God, would you be with my aunt? She's got a cold. It's as if God is up in heaven saying, I'm the all-knowing God. I'm the all-powerful God. I created everything. And yet somehow I miss the fact that your aunt has a cold, right? And so those are safe generic prayers. And so about 15 years ago, I had a friend say this one line to me that radically changed the way that I view prayer. Here's the line that specific prayers get specific results. 
that specific prayers, when you pray something that's focused, when you pray for something that's specific, when you pray for people by name, or you pray for that thing that's going on in your heart, that when you pray specifically, you give God the opportunity to bring a specific result. That, that, that courageous prayers don't have to be long prayers. Courageous prayers don't have to be wordy prayers. That courageous prayers can just be simple prayers that are so specific that when you pray them, God has the opportunity to do something specific in your life. And so tonight I wanna show you, or this morning I wanna show you an example of this. I wanna show you a simple little prayer that's not very long. I mean, I'm telling you, when I show you this on the screens, you're not gonna be like blown away. It is a little prayer. It's just two little verses in Psalm 139, but I'm gonna break it apart and I want us to see the pieces of it. And here's what I wanna invite you to do this morning. If you're watching online or you're listening to the podcast, I wanna invite you to do this. I'm gonna invite you to try this prayer out this week. I'm gonna invite you, in fact, to pray it this morning, but to also pray it every single day this week to give it a test to say, let me try praying this specific courageous prayer. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. I'm in Psalm 139. Or if you have the app, we have the slides that you'll see on the screen and you'll see the verses. But in Psalm 139, at the very end, there are two little verses. They're not long. They're not big. They're not wordy, but they are specific. See, the person that's writing this is a guy named David. And most of you have heard of King David and you know he had a lot of ups and downs in his life. If you didn't know that, David had moments where he was having great success when he was on top of the world. Then he also had moments where he was under attack. In fact, one of the things that happened throughout his lifetime is there's people that questioned his motives. There were people that questioned what he was doing. There were people in his day that were, that were attacking him. In fact, there was a moment in David's life where one of his sons tried to overthrow him, overthrow him from the throne. And so out of that drama, out of that tension, out of that stress, David closes this little writing with this prayer. Here it is, Psalm 139. We'll get verses 23 and verses 24. Here it is. It's not long. It's not wordy but it's courageous. Here it is, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's not a long prayer. That's not wordy. There's not a lot of big things in there. It is a simple prayer, but some of the most powerful, most courageous prayers are the ones that are simple but specific. And when we go to prayer with something specific like this, God goes to work. I believe that if we would try this out today, I believe that if we were to pray this with open hands and open hearts, that God would do something powerful in our lives. So let me pray for us as we dive in. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you for the sense of your presence here. God, I pray that this morning you would help us to drop our guard and to pray this prayer with open hands. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to take these two verses and I want to break them down. I want to pull them apart into their pieces. Now, sometimes Pastor Chuck or Pastor Hector, some of our team, they make fun of me because every time I teach, I always have points. 
Now, I need them, right? That keeps me on track. If you're more artistic and you don't need points, you can draw a picture that comes to mind as I'm talking about that. You can do whatever you need to. But I think every message ought to have at least one point, right? Otherwise, I'm just up here rambling. So I'm gonna give you four of them today because here's what I believe, that when we pray this prayer, God goes to work. And here's the first part of this prayer. Number one, examine my heart. Examine my heart. That's courageous. That takes guts. It takes guts to drop your guard and to say, God, would you examine my heart? This is essentially what David's doing when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. That word know literally is the word examine my heart. This is courageous because David's the king. This is courageous because he's the most powerful man in the land. This is courageous because everybody lives and acts like the world revolves around him except for the people that are attacking him. And it would have been easy for his power to go to his head. It would have been easy for him to think, I don't need to question my motives. I don't need to question what's going on inside of me. But David has been walking with God long enough to know this, that if there's anything that can happen, it's that our heart can trick us. The person that we typically deceive the most is ourselves. And so David has enough track record. David has enough history. David has enough ups and downs in his spiritual walk that he realizes that even though he's the most powerful man in the land, even though he's the, the, the leader of the land, even though he's a king, here's what David knows. I'm not the king. And David knows from past performance, given the right circumstances, given the right opportunity, that anybody is capable of doing unbelievable things. In fact, if you're taking notes, just write down the scripture verse. You can look it up later. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Here's what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's this reminder that oftentimes we overestimate how good our hearts are. Oftentimes we overestimate how much we have it together. And so the moment somebody begins to point at an area of our lives, if we're not careful, we get defensive and we begin to explain away. We're like, well, I'm not really materialistic. I'm not really material. I'm not into stuff. I just like nice things. Well, I'm not really lustful. I don't, I'm not really one of those people that lust. I just appreciate beautiful people. We explain things away. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not really a gossip. Man, I don't stir up gossip around me. I just share so people can know how to pray. I don't create drama. I just tell it how it is on Facebook. Or as my mom calls it, the Facebook. You see what I'm saying? I'm telling you, it is so easy to deceive ourselves. It's so easy to give ourselves a a free pass. And here's David saying, God, I don't want to do that today. God, I've done that in the past. God, I've seen the results of that. So God, I'm praying, would you examine my heart? God, would you search me? And I think there's got to be a moment like that in every one of our lives. There's got to be a moment where we pray a courageous, that, that takes guts. It takes us putting ourselves out there to say, God, would you search me? And that happened for me several years ago. Some of y'all know a little bit of my story, but when I was real young, uh, we went to a Presbyterian church when I was a kid. Now, honestly, I don't remember much about it, but here's what I do remember. In the preschool, they served us jungle juice to drink every Sunday, and then they had the cookies with the little hole in the center so you could put them on your fingers like rings. So I would walk around as a preschooler with cookie bling going on. You know what I'm saying? Did y'all do that? Did y'all do that? Rusty, do you still do that? 
You still, yeah, you do that. And so that's, that, that's about all I remember from preschool. But then uh, I have an older brother. So when he got to be the age of being in youth group, we changed churches to a Methodist church that was closer to us that had a youth group. And so we started going to the church. And it, by this time, I'm like second or third grade. And still, I don't remember a lot about it. But here's what I do. Rem- I, I remember two things about this church. I remember one, uh, every time the worship leader said, turn in your hymnals to hymn number 324. As a kid, I didn't know the word hymnal. I thought, no lie, I thought he was saying, turn in your hippos. I was confused. And then the second thing I remember about that church is I remember falling asleep during the sermon and waking up to my brother dangling his chewed, wet, big red gum in my ear. Isn't that awesome? That's all I remember. And then later we moved to another state, to another town, and we started going to church there. And I'll never forget hearing the pastor talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. What does it mean to be saved? And he sort of walked through it. He said that every single one of us come into this world separated from God because of our sin. And so without Jesus, we're not basically good. Without Jesus, we we have this bent towards doing sin against God, against others, even against ourselves. And he said, what it means to have your sins forgiven is to know that God sent his own son, Jesus, who stepped out of heaven and he came to this earth and that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus never did anything wrong against God, against himself, against other people. And then when Jesus went to the cross, it's almost like when he was hanging on that cross, it's like he became a magnet for sin where he literally took my sin and your sin and the sin of the world. He placed it on himself. He paid a price that he didn't owe for people like us that couldn't pay it ourselves. And that when Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished, what he was saying is the penalty of sin has been dealt with. I have done it. And then he was placed in the tomb, but it doesn't stop there. That three days later, he came back to life with resurrection life. And he said, do you know what it means to know him personally? He said, it means there's been a moment that you've turned from your sin and you've turned to him. That there's been a moment that he stepped out of heaven and he stepped into your heart and something different happened inside of you. And man, I'm telling you, in that moment, it's like God was x-raying my heart. It's like God was, like something was beating in my chest. It's like God was doing this x-ray, examining my heart. And there came this realization that, man, I've been to church my whole life, but my heart has never been changed. And that's a courageous prayer to say, God, I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just try to be a better person just for the sake of being a better person. Because one of the things that I begin to learn is that heaven isn't for good people. Right? Sometimes that's the mentality. Well, if I try harder, if I try to be a good person, if I try to be more, all that stuff is fine, but heaven is not gonna be full of good people. Heaven's gonna be full of people that are forgiven people. And that starts when we pray a courageous prayer and say, God, would you examine my heart? God, would you show me? Has there ever been a moment that my heart's been changed? God, has there ever been a moment that I haven't just known the story, known some of the stuff about you, but I know you personally? So I want to encourage you to pray that today. Man, put it to the test. Open up your hands and say, God, would you examine me? Because if we pray specific prayers, God does a specific work. And this could be the day that God moves us closer to him. So part one of this prayer is number one, God, examine my heart. God, show me. 
Have I ever come alive spiritually? Have I ever turned from my sin? I'm not saying, am I perfect? I'm saying, God, have you ever saved? Number one, examine my heart. Then the second piece of this prayer is super powerful, but because he goes on to say, eliminate my fear. He essentially says, God, would you eliminate my fear? That's what, what he's saying in verse 23 when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know, look at this phrase, know my anxious thoughts. David is essentially praying, God, show me my fear. God, show me my anxious ways. Did David have something to be afraid of? Absolutely. People were attacking him. People were questioning his motives. People were questioning his character. His own son at some season is saying, I want to kick you off the throne. Did he have stuff to be afraid of? Absolutely. But in this moment, David brings that to God and says, God, would you show me my fear? Would you show me my anxious way so that I can replace that fear with trust? Now, I don't know what you're afraid of. Any of y'all not afraid to admit that you're afraid of spiders? Anybody have arachnophobia in your life? Anybody not afraid to admit that? A few people, a few people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I looked up phobias and I'm just, my, my mind is blown over the number of phobias that are out there. Have you ever heard of somnophobia, the fear of falling asleep? That's a real fear. I guarantee you, I'm not gonna have that fear this afternoon. I'm gonna say, God, would you bless the day? Let me have salted caramel ice cream. And then I'm gonna take a big, long nap. There's no somnophobia in my life. What about FOMO? Have you heard the phrase FOMO? The fear of missing out, right? That's what, what happens on social media is we see all these people's posts. We see all their vacations. We see all the stuff they're doing. We see their perfect little picture where they're, they've got, you know, girls, you got your, your uh, foot popped up, right? And you got your dimple showing, right? And we start looking at all that. We're like, how come my life isn't that way? I'm missing out on whatever they're doing. They've got 47 likes. Nobody's like my post, right? We got FOMO, the fear of missing out. What about chlorophobia, the fear of clowns? Are any of you not afraid to admit that you're, yes, I saw hands skyrocket, afraid of clowns. That's a real fear. People are afraid of clowns. I would be if I saw one that was holding a red balloon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's fearful. What about nomophobia, the fear of being without a cell phone signal? I see some hands, like total meltdown. Right? Is there a signal? Is there a signal? What if I stand on this chair? Is there a signal? What about this one? Pognophobia, the fear of beards. Do we have any beards in here today? I wonder if there's anybody sitting next. Yeah, we got some beards over here. Yeah, some people are afraid of beards. What about this one? Hippopotamonstrosis quipped aliophobia, the fear of long words. It's a fear. Now, I don't know what you're afraid of. But I know in a room this size and people watching online and listening, there's a lot of things that people are afraid of. Some people are afraid of losing their job and they're walking around with that. They're like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I see layoffs going on. I'm at this certain age, this stage. I don't know what's gonna happen. They're afraid of losing their job. I meet some people that are afraid of not getting married by a certain age. They're like, man, I, I, I wanna be married by X age. I wanna be married by this. What if this is never gonna happen? I talked to some folks that are in a marriage and they honestly, honestly, they feel stuck in that marriage. And their fear is, is this thing ever going to get any better or is this just going to be hard the rest of my life? Some people are afraid of the future. Man, they see all the possibilities out there. They see all of these paths and no matter how bright the future is, they're afraid of it and they get paralyzed by it. Some people are afraid of failing while other people are actually afraid of succeeding. 
That's why it's so important to pray this prayer to say, God, would you show me any area of my life that I have fear? God, would you eliminate the fear in my life? Now, why would you pray that? Why is it so important to identify that? Why is it so important not to let that get by? Because here's what's dangerous about fear. The thing that we fear the most points to where we trust God the least. The thing that we fear the most is the area of our lives that we typically trust God the least. And so if there's an area of our life that we, 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 we're fearful of, we're like, man, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage. It's not going to work out. That may be an area that we're not trusting God with our marriages. Or if we're like, man, these bills, these bills are piling up, they're piling up, they're piling up. I'm not going to be able to pay them. That's an indication I'm not trusting God in that area. I'm not going to trust him to be my provider. Some folks are scared for their kids and the world that we're living in. Maybe, maybe my kids aren't going to be safe. And so their fear is I'm not trusting God with my kids. See, whatever we fear indicates where we're lacking trust in our lives. And God wants to replace that fear with trust. And I started praying this prayer. And for most of my life, I've never, I have never considered myself a fearful person. Now, usually when I talk about fear and I talk about worry, I talk about my grandmother. My grandmother lives in Montgomery. She is not, she turned 90 in December and she worries about everything. Do y'all know somebody like that? Some of y'all came by it honestly. You, you have champion warriors in your family. My grandmother's that way. She's always worried about something. She knows we travel a lot. And so every time I talk to her, she's like, Bobby, I'm just so worried about all those big trucks on the road. Watch out for the big trucks. Or sometimes when I'm talking to her, she is worried about gangs. She's like, I'm just so worried about all the gangs. I'm like, have you seen any lately? I mean, you were wearing red last time I saw you, so I don't know. One time I was talking to her on the phone and I could tell, I could tell she was uneasy. She didn't say what it was. I was like, so finally I just asked her, Mamma, what, what's wrong? And it's, it's like she's making stuff up when there's nothing to be afraid of. She just makes it up. She's like, I'm just so afraid the magnets might fall off the refrigerator door. What? And so whenever I think about fear, I typically think about my grandmother being a champion. I love her. She's amazing, but she worries about everything. But I never saw it in my own life until I started praying this specific prayer. And over the course of a month, man, God has been just pulling at layers of my heart. And honestly, I haven't processed it enough to actually talk about it from the platform. And so I wasn't planning on going there today, but man, just in my own heart, there was this restlessness. And sometimes there'd be this heavy feeling when I, whenever something would go away differently than I thought it should. And I started wrestling with, well, God, what's that? What's that heaviness I'm feeling? And God began to say, well, that's actually fear. That on the outside, you're able to look calm, cool, and collected. But on the inside, there are things that you think about too much. There are things that you overanalyze. There are things that you read between the lines way too much, and it's just not healthy. And so I started digging into that. Well, what does that mean? What, what am I afraid of? And so as I started digging into that, man, through God's word and through people and different things that I've been doing over the last couple of weeks just to grow as a person, man, it started to point to where I just want people around me to be pleased all the time. I want people to be happy. I want to please, I want to deliver. I don't, I, I don't wanna be seen. And then I started digging into that more. I didn't wanna be seen as inadequate. 
So as I started drilling in, it got more specific. All right, I've got this restlessness that's actually some form of fear, and that fear is actually coming from I'm wanting to please people, and that pleasing people is I don't want to be seen as inadequate. And underneath it all was this question mark in my soul, do I have what it takes? Do you see how dangerous that is for a pastor to have that? I mean, as a pastor, man, there are things that I believe God for for our church. There are things that, man, God's been doing in my heart that I just pray for, for Sugar Hill Church and for the kingdom of God as a whole. There are things that I believe God wants to do in and through our family, our congregation. But man, when you couple those big dreams and that faith with doubts, those don't go together. And so what have I been doing? Man, I have been replacing that fear with truth. Right, so whenever there's that question mark, do I have what it takes? Am I gonna, do I, 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 I know it's true in scripture that actually God has given me everything I need for what he's called me to do. I maybe am not wired like somebody else, but that's okay. God's given me everything I need to do what he's called me to do. Then I start quoting scripture. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Then other scriptures begin to come to mind that perfect love drives out all fear, right? And so what begins to happen is the more I pray the specific prayer, that's why it takes courage. This is not a safe prayer. This is not an easy prayer. This is not a prayer that you want to pray if you just want to get by and be average. But man, I'm telling you, if you want to sense God more than you ever have, pray this kind of prayer and then listen and begin to drill in. I don't know what it is you're afraid of, but man, to pray this and say, God, would you eliminate my fear? That we would move from fear to trust him. Because what happens is so often when we get preoccupied with our fears, we try to calm it ourselves in unhealthy ways. So number one, examine my heart. Number two, would you eliminate my fear? Number three, would you expose my sin? Would you expose my sin? Basically, he says this in verse 24. He says, God, see if there's any offensive way inside of me. God, is there anything I'm missing? God, is there something that's in there? Is there something that's underneath the surface? Have my fears driven me to do something that breaks your heart? God, is there something I need to deal with? He's saying, God, would you show me any sin in my life? That takes major courage to pray that. God, is there anything that's inconsistent with your truth? God, is there anything in my heart that's actually breaking your heart? God, would you show that to me? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but as a human race, it's pretty hard for us to see our own sin, isn't it? We're sort of wired to overlook our sin. It's really easy to notice the sin of another person while it's hard to see our own. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, who do they think they are? What do they think they're doing? In fact, what we tend to do is we tend to accuse other people while we excuse ourselves. Haven't you seen that? We, we look at somebody else's life and we're like, who do they think they are? This happens to me. This is a silly example, but this happens every time I travel. And so whenever uh, my wife and I, Laura, whenever we fly somewhere, we now don't check any bags. We do only carry-ons. It saves a ton of time. 
It's, uh, it's more efficient in the long run. But the problem with that is we have these big bags when we go on longer trips that barely fit on, you know, in the overhead compartment. And so I get stressed out about it. Some people love the process of traveling. They, you know, they're like, doo-doo-doo, and they're just sort of going through the motions. I'm like always thinking about the next thing. I want to get through security. And then when I get through security, I want to get to the gate. And when I get to the gate, I want to board one zone earlier than I'm actually supposed to. Because if I board too late, then all the compartments are going to be full. Then I'm going to stress out. And then they're going to say, you've got to check your bag to your final destination. And then I'm like, that's going to take 45 more minutes on the end of our trip. Are any of y'all like that? So I want to get there early. Laura, when we first got married, she wanted to get there late. She's like, as they're starting to say, it is time to board. She's like, I'm going to go look at the magazines and get a little Starbucks. And I'm like fully stressing out, right? (laughs) Meltdown mode. So recently we took a trip overseas and we had our backpacks, big duffel bags loaded to the brim. And sure enough, they're boarding, boarding, boarding. And the first plane we're on was pretty small. So I'm stressed out about it. And we're like four people away from getting on the plane and they make that announcement. They're like, all right, all the overhead compartments are full. Everybody else is gonna have to check their bags. I mean, the good pastor type that I am, I'm like, no, we're not. So I, I, I think I like took off my jacket or something and put it over my bag. So it sort of obscured how big my bag was. And I did the, the, the nice gentleman thing that gentlemen do. I went first and left Laura out there. <laughs> Sorry, honey. So I got, onto, got, got through the little ticket thing. And then Laura, who's nice and sweet and never does anything that comes close to breaking the rules. She had her duffel bag on her back and she put it over on one shoulder and turned towards the little ticket lady so, she, so the ticket lady couldn't see it. She like sidestepped through. So I'm ratting you out this morning. Everybody's seeing this. You got to pray at the end of the service. So we make it on and then we barely push it all the way in there. And then when I get on the plane, I start judging everybody that's already on the plane. Right? You have to walk through first class, right? And I'm looking at all these people thinking, who do they think they are? They're sitting there in their thrones. They got their goblets of cold drink, right? Look at us. We're making money just sitting here. Well, I'm going all the way back next to the bathroom. Awesome. And so then we got to our connection and we were overseas. And so it's not in English. So I've gotten pretty good at, you know, knowing what I'm looking for in the signs. So I'm following the signs exactly how we're supposed to. The problem is we're leaving one terminal, going to the next one. And um, you can see the terminal, but there's this big metal gate between us and where we're trying to go. And we've followed the signs. We're where we're supposed to be. There's no explanation of why they have closed this off. There's no new arrow saying, here's what you need to go as a little detour. So there's like a dozen of us standing there looking at where we're trying to go. And here we are. So I, again, I did what every good pastor would do. I checked to see if it was locked. It wasn't locked. And so again, I did the gentlemanly thing and I went through first and left Laura on the other side. And so Laura's hesitant at first. She finally comes through. And then I find out later that this lady yells at her and says, there's a barrier there for a reason. And then it dawned on me, 
That, this whole trip, I've been judging all these people that are getting on the plane early, that think the world revolves around them, that, that they're up there in their first class seats, you know, having a feast while I'm in the back having my little pretzels. And then it dawns on me, here I am doing all the things that I'm accusing them of. Look at me, I'm Mr. Important. I need to get through this little barricade. And man, I'm telling you, we're so great at seeing it in other people's lives. At least for me, I'm not so good at seeing it in my own. And David knows this is so important. David knows that when you have unconfessed sin in your life, the longer it goes unconfessed, the harder your heart becomes. And so David says, God, would you show me? Would you expose any sin in my life? And, and just real quick, if you're a note taker, man, there, there's three questions that I think are super helpful when it comes to this. The, there, there's simple questions that I'm starting to ask myself. Here, here, here's the first question. When you're trying to get, find out where you really are, the first question is this, what am I ignoring? What am I ignoring? Whenever there's like three or four people in our lives that are saying, hey, Bobby, you need to watch out. Hey, Bobby, I've noticed this thing. Hey, Bobby, you're different when you're around that person. Hey, hey Bobby, when there's people like that that are speaking into your life and you're ignoring it, that may be an area that you need to begin to pay attention Right? If people that love you keep bringing up the same thing, that may be an area that you need to say, maybe there's something going on. Here's the second question. What do I make excuses for? What do I make excuses for? In other words, what is it that I always tried to explain away? Well, I know it's not great, but it's not like I'm really doing anything super wrong. It's not the best. This is just how I go. This is what other people do. It's not that big of a deal. See, if we have to explain away, if we have to rationalize it, that may be something that we need to pay attention to. Here's the third one. What do I overreact to? What do I overreact to? Haven't you had something that you didn't see coming and when somebody brought it up, you went from zero to 100 in a moment, you went from normal person to like you're on an episode of Live PD in half a second, you know what I'm saying? You turn red, you get angry, you, don't, you, you didn't see it coming, but man, the moment they touched on it, it was a nerve inside of you. That could be a sign that that's an area that you need to pay attention to. Why? I'm telling you, this is not a fun prayer. This is a courageous prayer to say, God, would you examine my heart? Why would we do that? Because we wanna know, has my heart ever been changed? Number two, God, eliminate my fear. Why would we want him to do that? Because the places that we fear the most are the places that we trust them the least, that we can replace fear with trust. We don't have to live in fear. Number three, examine my heart. Why, why would we say, God, expose the sin that's in my life? Because the longer we have unconfessed sin, the harder our hearts become. And then if we leave, if we go down that road for long enough, it becomes difficult to hear the voice of God, to know the call of God, to know the direction of God in our life. And then finally, the last part of this prayer, I'll, I'll close quickly with this one. Part four is, God, would you establish my path? God, would you establish my path? He says at the end of verse 24, after he says this, he says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me. Do you see that? And lead me in the way everlasting. Again, this is David saying, I may be a king, I'm not the king. I may be on a throne, but I'm not on the throne. And David is at a place in his life that he's able to say courageously, God, I don't have it all figured out. God, I may be smart, but your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are better than my ways. And so this is David's way of saying, God, you've got me. God, you've got all of me. God, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm tired of trying to calculate my life myself. God, I don't want to just trust you with the big stuff. God, I want to trust you with the details. I think that's a sign that we're starting to grow up spiritually. 
One of the places we were overseas, uh, they, they had the tube, they had the, the subway kind of thing. And whenever you'd get onto one of these trains, the voice would come over to the intercom and it would say, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. And it was this reminder that the place you're standing has a gap between where you're standing and where you're going. And so to say, mind the gap is to say, pay attention to that space in your life. Pay attention to that blank area of your life. Pay attention because if you don't, it could lead to danger. I think one of the signs that we're beginning to grow up spiritually is that early on, it's about the big stuff in our life. Has your heart ever been changed? Have you committed your life to him? But I think over time, the longer we walk with him, it goes from being the big stuff down to the little details. And one of the ways that we can measure if we're growing up is by how big the gap is in our life. The gap isn't measured in inches or feet. The gap is measured in time between when God tells us to do something and when we say yes to him. Sometimes that gap is wide. God says, I want you to trust me with your marriage. I want you to trust me with, my, with your job. I want you to trust me with your heart. I want you to trust me with your college career. I want you to trust me with your athletic ability. I want you to trust me with your grandkids. When God speaks and then there's this gap when we finally say yes. And I think the goal when David says, God, would you show me my path? Would you lead me along your way? Is David saying, would you help close the gap between when you speak and when I say yes. And so before we close, I'm gonna invite you to sit in this moment and if you're courageous enough, would you pray this prayer today? If you really desire, man, I wanna be closer to God, this is a specific prayer that could change the rest of your spiritual life. So would you bow your heads just for a moment? Would you close your eyes? If you don't have to leave, I would invite you just to hang out just three or four more minutes. Would you remain in this moment? And if you're up for it, as I say this prayer out loud, would you just pray it silently in your head and in your heart? And would you just believe God that God will answer your prayer? And here's the simple prayer. You can say it in your heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we pray, it could be that you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you would love to do that now. There's nothing magical about it. It's about faith where you can simply say in your head and your heart, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. If you just prayed that for the very first time, I would love to know that. There's a little info card in front of you. You can fill that out or you can shoot me an email, bobby at sugarhillchurch.com, bobby at sugarhillchurch.com. There's some resources I'd love to put in your hands that would help you. If you're a believer and you find that somewhere along the way you feel distant from God, 
Would you pray, God, would you help me to be courageous this week? Would you search me and know me? Would you teach me and know my anxious ways? Would you see any offense in me? God, would you lead me? God, that's our prayer this morning. God, that you would help us to pray courageous, bold prayers that God, you would show up and draw us closer to you. When I finish praying, we're just gonna stand just for a moment. Pastor Hector and his team's gonna lead us. I wanna invite you to use these words as words to seal this in your head and in your heart. If you need to sit and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you need to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, I invite you just to remain with us for a moment and to lift this up, this God that makes a promise. Father, thank you for today. Help us to lean into you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this before we head out, as we lean into this this morning. All right, let's lift this up.